Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. When we have heat in the building, it doesn't always happen this way, but it might be frigid outside, but we got the fire of God in here. So, amen, right? The, those of you that are new today, I'm Pastor Joey. We want to say welcome, and as Scott said, we do have a three-week challenge. We challenge you to come three weeks in a row, and as you do, to pray and ask God if this is where he might lead you to make your spiritual home. And uh, at the end of that three weeks, if you believe that this is where God is calling you to join as a, a faith family, we say welcome home. And uh, we're excited to have you with us and along the journey of what God is doing in our church and amongst our people and in this community. I think it's exciting, the things that uh, have been going on and, and what we see coming ahead. We are in the last week of our Focus series, a series we kicked off at the beginning of the year as we also did our 10 days of fasting and prayer together. And so today will be the end of, of this series. We're going to start a brand new series next week in February called Monumental. I'm excited for that. You don't want to miss that or miss out on what I believe God wants to show us and encourage us uh, through the month of February. And also, um, just got a confirmation, a, a good friend of mine is a, a pastor in the Grand Haven area, is going to be with us in February, a special speaker. I know you're going to love uh, hearing from Pastor Tim. He uh, doesn't talk like we talk, because he's from Australia. So if you like uh, funny accents and, and, uh, that, and that inspires you, you're going to love it. He's a, he's a great guy. Uh, he's doing an incredible work up there in Grand Haven area, and I know you're going to be blessed, and so we'll be talking about that more in the days to come. But we just want to jump right into our passage today. I think God has really something special that he wants to show us from his word, and I just feel the Spirit of God moving right now, and I believe that God has some bags he wants to unpack today, some breakthrough he wants to bring. I believe there's some healing that he wants to pour out in this room, and, uh, and so I'm excited to just see what God's going to do. Amen? Amen. So let's jump in. Joshua chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. This is a well-known passage of Scripture, a famous story in the Bible. This is about Joshua and the battle of Jericho. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out, none came in. And so the Lord said to Joshua, See, I've given Jericho into your hand with its king and its mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city and all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow their trumpets, and when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone, straight before him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just welcome you in this place today. God, we're, we're anticipating what you're about to say. And, and God, I might have a sneak peek on what we're talking about today, but Lord, we are here to hear from you. So God, we just ask that everything said and done would bring glory to the name of Jesus, would be clear and delivered by the Holy Spirit, and that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a mind that understands, and a heart ready to 
not only receive, but also follow in faith the things that you have set before us today. God, that we would respond, and that, Lord, I'm just thankful for the healing and the miracle work that you're going to do in this place. The setting of the captive free, just as we sang and we declared. God, that's who you are. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if you've been setting captives free for thousands of years, God, I believe it's going to happen again today. And God, you've been healing people for thousands of years. I believe it's going to happen again today. You've been restoring relationships and and marriages and families, God, for thousands of years. I believe you're going to do it again today. And so, God, we just say, amen, Lord Jesus. Speak, and we shall listen and respond as your people, and may you be glorified. And all God's people said, amen, and amen, and amen. So, as I said, we've been talking about focus. And week one, we really just, we just talked about how Often we come into difficult circumstances, and things that we face, the way the enemy works in our lives, often robs us of hope and discouragement, and it often makes us like feel like giving up or quitting when it comes to following in faith or doing what God wants us to do or serving in ministry and, and trying to live out what God has planned for us. And what we read from the Word of God is that when we come through difficult circumstances, that we need to fix our eyes, we need to focus on the cross of Jesus Christ. Because when we look at what He's done and what He's been through, we will realize that what we've gone through wasn't all that bad. It might be bad, but compared to what Christ endured, what Christ bore on the cross, what He sacrificed, it's not that bad. And so it encourages us as we look back to the cross in week two, where we were looking at the Word of God being the light to our feet and the lamp to our path. That as we focus on Christ, we also need to focus on His Word. That way we don't get knocked off course and misdirected and in a place where God would have us, not have us to be and where the enemy can come against us and work in our lives. And then last week, we talked about focusing on His testimonies. How many of you believe that God is good and He's still the same God He was yesterday. He's still doing great things. And when we focus on what He's done, the Bible says in Revelation 19 that the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus, which means when we're telling about what God's going to do, it's a reflection of what He's already done. So if He came in the past, guess what He's going to do in the future? He's going to come again. So the things we declare from the heart of God as future things or the things we foresee or the things we even ask for, we can look back and say, did God do this in the past? If it's a yes, then we can believe he's going to do it again in the future because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And focusing on his testimonies keeps us in that place of encouragement, that place of hope, stoking the fire of our hope so we don't give up and we don't quit. Today, we're going to yet focus on something else that is very important in our lives and in the lives of our church and Christians everywhere. You see, the Israelites, they were facing a monumental battle. If you remember that this, in the story, this is, they had just finished their wandering in the desert for 40 years. God finally has brought them to this place where they're getting ready to enter into the promised land, the thing that God's promised and had been working with the nation of Israel for over 400 years. So this is a promise long overdue, right? So this is an incredible moment. We're getting ready to go into the promised land, experience all the blessings God said that we're going to experience. And they couldn't just walk into the city. No, God had given them a mission. They had a mission. They had to go in and conquer the city. 
And so like Israel today, we have a mission, and that mission is often riddled with battles that we have to face. But just like Israel, God has not just given us a mission, He's also promised that we have victory at the end of the battle. And so here we're going to take encouragement from this, that as they focused on their mission, God would give them the victory. How many of you know that we do have a mission as the church of Jesus Christ? Our mission is to worship God with all of our heart, to love people, to grow together as we build the kingdom of God here on earth, that it would be on earth as it is in heaven. That's our mission, to make heaven filled with people. Uh, we, we heard it this week as we were looking at other churches' mission statements. My wife and I, she found this online that, that uh, someone said their mission was just to populate heaven or to make heaven more crowded. I think that's an awesome way to think. The reason why you exist, why Christ saved your soul, why you still live and breathe, and he hasn't taken you to heaven the moment you gave your life to Christ is because you have a mission, and that's to make heaven more crowded. You live for an incredible purpose. And so God was leading Israel in this moment to enter the promised land, and they were going to dwell in his presence. They were going to experience all of the blessings that come with his presence. But in order to do that, in order to be the light to the nations that they were called, they had to face Jericho. They had to get through Jericho. They had a battle. They had an obstacle in their way. They had an obstacle to their mission. They had something that was keeping them from the thing that God had been promising for 400 years. And so God leads them to the city. He sets up this encounter with Jericho. And as they were facing Jericho, this impenetrable city, I think we have a, a picture we're going to throw up on the screen, a, kind of a description of Jericho. we have that? So this is an archaeological reconstruction of what Jericho looked like. The reason why Jericho was considered impenetrable is because it was built on a hill and it had a series of walls. There was a, like, a six-foot-thick lower wall that had an expanse of city. And the story, when you hear that Rahab, her house was in the walls, this is what it's talking about. There were, there were houses in between the two sets of walls. Then you had another set of walls higher up that protect the upper city where the, the aristocrats and the wealthy and the to-do lived. And so when you're talking about this group of people, these nomads, that were wandering the desert for 40 years. They finally get to this place, and this is the place that God sets up for them to be their first battle. They weren't just walking into the city. This place was considered impenetrable. This, in all intents and purposes, was an impossible battle. They couldn't win it because they couldn't get into the city. And they weren't just going to walk up and knock on the door and be let in. Right? We already read that all the people in the city were hiding for fear of the Israelites. They knew what they were coming to do. They knew battle was imminent. And so everyone shut up in the city. They had their defenses up. And it looked like there was no way. But God had set this encounter to be a defining moment in their lives. They had their mission. Go take the city. Go win. Now they needed to focus on that mission. But they couldn't fulfill their mission because of the walls in their way. And we know the story. We know what ends up happening to the walls. The walls come tumbling what? The walls come tumbling down. 
And when you look at the archaeological excavation, it's amazing that the walls did fall. They didn't fall backwards as if being pushed against by an invading army. They fell forwards from the inside out. And the stones became rubble, became a ladder for them to climb to go up into the city. It's remarkable what God did. And so as we're looking at this, what's important to note is that even though on the face this was an impossible battle, before God knocked down the walls, this would have been going on in the mind of the people there. They're just like the first time when they were going to come into the, the promised land, they saw giants, they saw armies, they saw fortified cities, they saw impossible battles. And what did they do? They ran away in fear rather than walked forward in faith. And that's why they had to wander for 40 years. So now they're back in this place. God didn't remove them from that same situation. No, he brought them to this place. He brought them to the walls of Jericho. God set this up. God set this encounter up. God led Israel to the walls, not to be crushed by the walls, but to march up on its rubble towards the victory he promised. How many of you know that God is at work in your life. And there are walls in the way that are keeping you from fulfilling God's call on your life, His mission for your life, His purpose. There might be a circumstance you're battling right now, and you feel like, man, if this could just get out of the way, then I could move on with my life. There is a wall in your life. And it's keeping you from what God has called you to do. But beloved, I want to tell you, the wall isn't just random. God has led you to the wall. God has led you to the thing that's in the way because God's setting something up for you. He's setting something up for you that's going to be miraculous in the wall. What do walls represent? They represent what's keeping you, keeping you away from the victory God's declared for your life. You know, you might feel called of God to, to serve in the ministry, but there's something that's keeping you from stepping out in faith. That's a wall. You know, God has brought you together with your spouse, and, and you're like, man, we, we know God's led us together, but we just don't get along. We just can't make a good go at this relationship thing, and there's something in the way of us experiencing what God has desires and fulfilled and has called for us to experience in our relationship. There's a wall. Some of you, it's financial. There, there's financial things. You want to serve God. You want to do more. You want to give. But something's constantly coming against your finances. There's a wall. There's something in the way that is keeping you from fulfilling the thing God has called you to do. It's an enemy against you. It could be a spiritual stronghold, something you're dealing with, keeping you from who God's created you to be. But remember, beloved, nothing is too hard for God. It doesn't matter what it looks like. Nothing's too hard from God. Not the most fortified, the most impenetrable city, not the craziest circumstance, not the most devastating health scare. Nothing is too hard for God. And God has led you to the walls, not to be crushed by the walls, but so that you can walk on top of the rubble into the victory he's proclaimed over your life. Remember, if God is for you, nothing 
no matter how difficult, how severe, how incredible can be against you. When we're partnered up with God, miracles happen. And so we know the story. We know the walls come tumbling down. Do you, do you remember how the walls came tumbling down? What did Israel do to partner with God to see those walls fall? What did they do? They blew the trumpets, right? They shouted to the Lord. They worshiped. When the people of God worshiped, God whooped up. When the people of God worshiped, God then came through and whooped up. How many of you know that our worship is powerful? That genuine, true, heartfelt worship is powerful. When the people of God worship, powerful things happen. Now, what they did to worship was more than just playing instruments. Yes, they played trumpets. Yes, the priests were out there leading the way. They had the Ark of the Covenant. They all gave a shout to the Lord at the, at the right time when the signal was given. But they were doing something beyond just the worship service that enacted their worship to partner with God in a powerful way. And Jesus gives us a glimpse on what it is, what's the, the secret sauce, so to speak, of worship that enables God to do the miraculous when we are honoring Him and praising Him and giving Him glory. And He reveals this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 10. This is the time where Jesus is in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. So He's been fasting, He's in prayer for 40 days. Like the Israelites were in the desert for 40 years. And just as the enemy came after and serpents came after the people of Israel, the serpents coming after the Son of God. And he comes to him on at least three different occasions to tempt the Lord. And each time Jesus responds. But the last time Jesus responds to the enemy, the enemy is like, man, I'm not getting anywhere. And so he vanishes. He goes away. And here's what Jesus tells the serpent in Matthew chapter 4, verse 10. It says, then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. You shall worship the Lord your God, and you shall serve only him. You shall only serve the Lord. And this is a quote from the Old Testament. The, three other, the two other encounters Jesus has, he quotes the scripture from the Old Testament. This is the same, except in the Old Testament, it doesn't say worship the Lord. In Deuteronomy 6.13, here's what the scripture says. It says, it is the Lord your God you shall what? You shall fear. Him shall you serve, and by his name shall you swear. So when Jesus is quoting the Old Testament, he doesn't quote it accurately. Or does he? Or maybe he just knows something we don't know. But no, the Old Testament says you shall fear. What, what does that word mean? In the original Hebrew, it means to be afraid or fear to do a thing or stand in awe of something or reverence or honor. To be in honor, to be, to be petrified in spirit to the point of, of reverencing something as ultimate. Like there's, there's nothing else in this moment but this thing that I am fearing. It's deep reverence, honor. Jesus, in the New Testament, of course, the New Testament's written in Greek, and so the Greek word used here from the Lord is a, is a word I can't pronounce, so I'll spare you, but it comes from a word that means to kiss like a dog licking his master's hand, to fawn over, to crouch, 
down or prostrate oneself in homage, to reverence, to adore, to worship. So if you think about what the enemy was doing, what Satan was doing, he says, you know, you see all the kingdoms of the world, Jesus? I know why you've come. It's because you've come to set up the kingdom of God. You've come to be Lord over the nations. The nations belong to me. So if you would just bow down and worship me, I'll give you the nations. You don't have to worry about all this other stuff that, that you have coming up. You don't got to worry about that. Just worship me and I'll give you what you came for. And Jesus is like, no, you don't understand. You shall worship only God and serve only him. What Satan was trying to do was to get Jesus to fawn over him like a dog licking his master's hand, to make much of him. This just kind of hit me this morning as I was thinking about this passage. What kind of a person tries to evoke worship or compliments or adoration from other people? It's a really insecure person. A person who's confident, a person who's secure doesn't need the praise of people because they know who they are. I think it's funny that here the devil, the most insecure person, is trying to solicit praise from the most secure person because Jesus knew who he was and there was no compromise. But here Jesus says, you shall worship the Lord. You only make much of God, only reverence God, only adore God, only honor God. That is the essence of worship. And so he quotes this verse this way to Satan because of Satan's desire to be honored, to be glorified. But he's saying, no, you don't understand. There's only one who we honor, one who we adore, one who we make much of, and that is Yahweh God, the Father. If you revere God alone, you will not bow down to another. Attached to the word fear and attached to the word worship in both cases, is also the word serve. And so here the idea is, it's not as much about what you say and how you proclaim. It's also important about what you do. So tied to worship is not just singing or praising or clapping your hands. It's also obedience to the Lord. Because if you are fearing God, you will not be serving another. If you are worshiping God, you're not going to be bowing down to another. If Jesus were to have bowed down to the enemy and given the enemy what he wanted, he would have been serving the devil, which would have been a violation of God's will in his command. And so attached to worship is not just singing, playing trumpets, playing music, being a great musician or musical artist. Attached to worship is the obedience and obedient heart of the one who's worshiping. So the nation of Israel saw the walls fall, not simply because they shouted to the Lord, but because the seven days prior, they obeyed his command. They walked around silently one time the first day, and then another the second day, and then the third, and then the fourth, and then the fifth, and then the sixth, and then seven times on day seven. And when the signal was given, then they shouted. Then the walls came tumbling down. You see, beloved, worship is powerful. But the power of our worship is amplified 
by the faithfulness of our obedience. The power of our worship is amplified by faithfulness in our obedience. Israel had positioned themselves to be blessed by God because they were in obedience to God. That's why the psalmist in Psalm 149, verse 6, he says, let the praises of God be in their mouths and a sharp sword in their hands. Like, like why did he say, just, he didn't just say, let the praise of God be in their mouths. But I think we would all be comfortable with that, right? Oh, man, that's all we got to do is praise God with our mouths. Woo! I can, tell you, I can do that, but no, he says, and let a sharp sword be in their hands. And as you continue to read, he talks about to confound nations and to bring, to partner with God to bring the judgment, to bring nations into alignment and agreement with God's will. So the idea is, it's not just about making much of God with what we say, but backing it up by what we do. The power behind worship comes through our obedient heart. That's why we're to worship the Lord God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. In spirit and in truth, with heart and mind, in spiritual reality and physical reality. You see, I think why we struggle with walls many times is because rather than faithfully in obedience and letting that empower our worship, we kind of sit back and wait for God to move. Many times we wait to worship God even until God knocks down the walls. But what I love about this story is Israel worshiped before God knocked down the walls. They were worshiping in preparation for what God was going to do in thankfulness for what God was going to do, in faith for what God was going to do before he even did it. They trusted him. They believed him. They put their faith in what he had said. And so the walls were able to fall because their worship was backed up by their faithfulness and their faith. So the first point I just want to hammer down today is when we worship in spirit and truth, in faith and obedience, beloved, the walls will fall. The walls in your life, the walls in your relationship, the walls that you're facing, they're going to fall because we'll be positioned for God to move in our lives. There is a partnership in breakthrough, and we, we pray for that all the time. We have a problem going on. We have an issue, and we're praying, God, God, we need healing. God, we need breakthrough. God, we need deliverance. We need, we need, we need, we need. We're really needy sometimes. Can I get an amen? Anybody else feeling needy? We do. But often, God waits for us to be in the position to be blessed before the blessing comes. And that comes through faithful obedience. So God will knock down the walls because there's a partnership and breakthrough when we position ourselves for the blessing. And he knocks down the walls. Why? So we can go in and burn the city. So we can go in and fulfill the very purpose that he's called, the very thing that he's called for us to do, that he's he's called us to do. Point number two, what takes our focus off the mission and what keeps us out of the fighting circle or the city that we're supposed to conquer, where a lot of us get stuck, is even though when the walls fall, we're still prevented from going up into the city, into the battle. 
So if this is the issue in your life that you're pressing up against, this is the thing keeping you from your purpose, when we position ourselves in faith and in obedience, God will move the wall out of the way. God will break the wall down. And beloved, he knocked down a lot of walls when he died on the cross for our sins. There are a lot of curses, a lot of things he took upon himself so that just through faith and trust in him, simple obedience, we can walk on top of the rubble of many circumstances. And this is what God desires. With the wall out of the way, he wants us to climb up the rubble to our purpose. This is what he wants. And you know what's up at the top? It's victory. What's at the top of the rubble the city is your victory. It's your purpose. It's the very thing God created you to do and be. It's the place where your worship will be the strongest because you'll be in fulfilling the very thing God has placed in your life to be what he's wanted you to do. But there's something that keeps us from walking up and taking our victory, from partnering with him to battle for victory. We don't experience victory often because we're weighed down in the fight. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Since we are surrounded by a huge crowd of witnesses to this life of faith, let us strip off every weight. Somebody say every weight. Let us strip off every weight and every sin that slows us down, especially that trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. So we have a mission. We have a victory that's gift wrapped for us. God is going to take care of the wall so we can fulfill that in our lives, but there is something that keeps us from running our race, something that keeps us from making the climb, and that's the heavy weights and the sin that trips us up. I have some bags here, as you can see. You know, my, my kids uh, didn't leave their junk laying around. This was on purpose. And Chris, I think we're missing the two weights. I don't know if you see those. Oh, no, I got them. I got them right here. So how many of you know that each of us have a bag? We're born with a bag. And many of you, when you entered into your marriage relationship or relationship, realized you have more than one bag. Anybody want to raise their hand testify by having some baggage? Right? We all have baggage. Why? Because all have sinned and all have fallen short of God's glory. Right? When sin entered into the room, every, into the world, everyone was cursed by sin. And so we're born into this world broken and separated from God. And each of us have a bag that we wear, that we carry. And over the course of our lives, through circumstances and situations, through de decisions that we make, things that we've done or things that have been done to us, it adds weight to the bag. So like this bag might represent a spirit of self-criticism. How many of you, on a regular basis, look in the mirror and tell yourself how ugly you are, how stupid you are, how you don't matter, how you don't measure up, how you need to be better, you need to be more? If you only had this, you could be acceptable. How many of you feel like you're not as good as other people, so you're not qualified? How many of you tell yourself, man, that'd be awesome. I would love to be a part of that, but I could never do that. You see, we have baggage. 
And let me just tell you, if, if you're the one that says, you know, I could never do that, or that could never be me, let me tell you, that's born out of a false belief. You have already believed a lie of the enemy, which makes you utter those words. Because that's not what God's word says. But you've believed some lies the enemy has told you, and you filled your bag with so much baggage that it weighs you down, which is why you don't take steps of faith and why you don't move forward in your relationship with God because you're carrying a heavy weight. Maybe you have marriage problems. You love your spouse, and your spouse loves you, or, but there's just been some stuff that's gone on in your relationship, and it's been hurtful, it's been painful. You don't really get along anymore. And it's not because of a lack of love, it's just because there's something in the way. There's hurt, there's pain, there's unforgiveness, there's bitterness. And so you're wearing a lot of baggage. And you think, man, if, if they would just change, if they would just be different, things could be different. Well, that's a lie too. Because you can't change people. Only God can. But we wear these bags and we accumulate this baggage because of the stuff we struggle with. Or maybe you have financial problems and you just made some really bad decisions and now you've got more debt than you have expenditures or income, extra income. And so when it comes to doing what God wants you to do or being generous or helping or partnering with the church and you're like, man, I wish I could do more. I just can't afford it. Because I've made some decisions in my life. I've got, it seems like every time I take a step forward, I have two steps backward. And so I can't give. I can't be generous. I can't, I can't do what other people can do. And so you walk away feeling guilt and shame. And you've got this condemnation coming against you because of where you're at in your life. You've got baggage. Or maybe you've got some sin in your life. You know there's something that you're choosing to do on a regular basis that God doesn't want you to do. No one else really knows, and right now you feel like, well, it's just hurting me, not anyone else, and so it doesn't really matter. But beloved, let me tell you, every time you choose disobedience, you add a weight to your bag. Oh, well, it was just that last time. It was just that one time. I'm not going to do that ever again. And then time goes by, things get hard, and then there's that opportunity. And, well, I just can't help it. You just add another weight to your bag. And what does the Bible say? It says, God has a mission. He has a plan. He has a victory for us. He has a race. But this is how we walk into the fight. We walk in weighed down because we have a lot of baggage. And I look at this ladder and I think, man, when I didn't have any baggage, it was easy to go up that ladder. But now, with all this weight, it's kind of rickety. I don't know if I want to make the attempt. I don't want to try. 
And this is what happens to all of us all of the time. And that's why the, the writer of Hebrews says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, every sin that trips us up. What, what trips us up is what gets in the way. It's what gives power to the walls in our lives. You know that the enemy is a powerless enemy. When Jesus rose from the dead, the Bible says that he disarmed the enemy. He might be a powerful entity, but he's not a powerful foe because Jesus conquered him. He disarmed him. He has no weapons. He has no authority. All he has is the lies he gets us to believe. Because the moment we start believing lies, we empower the liar. And what does he do but sets up walls and strongholds in our life? And he creates that constant negative feedback loop. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. Your marriage isn't going to make it. You'll never get out of financial debt. You'll never be who God wants you to be. Yeah, there's a victory there, but that's just for other people. You'll never experience the victory that God has. This is never going to happen. You're never going to find your healing because he's got you wrapped up in a negative feedback loop, lies that you've believed, and that is weighing you down to the point that you're unable and unwilling to even take a step of faith. And the challenge with that is, is that when we're believing the liar, we're not believing God. We're not fearing the Lord, but we're making much of the enemy. And what God is wanting to do is get our attention. He's saying, look, we have some battles to face, but I'm going before you. I'm going to fight it for you. I'm going to move the wall out of the way, and I'm going to give you the victory. You just have to trust me. You have to obey. You have to do what I've said to do. And the, Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he tells us that we have mighty weapons. Weapons that are, that are not of this world, but they're mighty weapons. They're weapons that can tear down strongholds. They're weapons that can overthrow the enemy. They're weapons that can help us unpack the baggage that we have, that we carry, so that we can walk free to be who God's created us to be. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verses 4 and 5, he says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but have divine power. Somebody say divine power. These are divinely given by God to his people, and they're powerful. To what? To destroy strongholds, to tear down cities. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. You see, God didn't send us into a fight without some weapons. And the weapons he's given us are powerful that can tear down everything that the enemy has thrown against us. Everything that's caused us to create baggage. And here's the secret sauce. Here's what we learn, is that the battles that we face are actually fought right here. And right here, in our heart, in our mind, we lose the battle before it even starts because of the lies that we believe. And we rather would trust our own intuition, our own wisdom, rather than the Word of God. But here's what Paul says. He says, look, if you use God's mighty weapons, you're going to tear down the strongholds. You're going to unpack your bags. You're going to find a lighter weight. And then you're going to be able to do the very thing God's created you to do, and you're going to win the battle. So how do we do it? We take our thoughts captive and submit them to be obedient to Christ. So when it comes to your baggage, oh, man, our marriage is never going to be the same 
it's never going to be good until that person changes. Well, we recognize the Word of God says it has nothing to do with that person. It has to do with you. Now, I recognize there's some things that are unavoidable, and there are some circumstances that, that even God would like to change, but a person's own rebellion prevents them from experiencing the blessing and breakthrough of God. But when two people are children of God and they want what's good and right and they're both pursuing Christ, God has a way of doing the impossible in a relationship. And so we stop looking at what they're not doing. We stop looking at what drives us crazy about them and we look at what the Bible says. It says, look inward at yourself. The Bible says that even an unbelieving husband or an unbelieving spouse, a wayward spouse, can be won by the holy and chaste character of the other spouse. And so we don't put the responsibility on them. We put it on ourselves and we say, God, this relationship needs to change, so change me. Help me by changing me. And I know that you can do it because the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. You have the ability to turn a heart. I can't, so change my heart first. Turn my heart again towards my spouse. Help me walk in love, and I'm leading, leaving them in your hand for you to turn their heart. And as you begin to walk out by taking those thoughts captive, by stop saying my marriage is hopeless, they're never going to change, and by declaring the word of God, it's not hopeless. It, there is hope. God can do it. God will do it. God said, let what I put together, let no one separate. God's for my marriage. And you start declaring what the truth of the word of God is over your relationship, guess what? You can let that bag go. And watch God break down walls and restore. Oh, man, I've got financial problems. I've got financial problems. And I, every step I take forward, it's like two steps back. Well, look at what God's Word says. Are you being obedient with your finances? Oh, man, Pastor Joey, 10% is an awful lot. Yeah, I know. And sometimes when you're at the end of the week and, and, and you're looking at what you have left, you're like, man, I don't know how I'm going to make it. But God has made a promise in his word. He says, if you give to me first, you put me first in everything, including your finances, I will bless the rest. And what I do with a blessed 90 is more than what you can do with a whole hundred. And so you give to me what I've declared, and I'll show you things you never, matter of fact, I'll open a window of heaven and pour out blessings in all area of your lives that you can't even contain. You're going to have so much that you're going to have to give some away. You're going to have to pour goodness out in other people's lives. And when you start proclaiming that, you start walking in obedience that your worship is matched by your faithfulness. Watch God break down walls. Watch God begin to move mountains. Watch God send you checks in the mail you didn't expect. And come through with blessings you weren't prepared for. Watch God be faithful as he is. And as you begin declaring, no, I'm not, I'm not cursed for poverty. Jesus took my curses upon the cross. I am rich because I'm a child or a daughter of the king of kings. And God promised to bless me and bless my finances. And you start declaring God's word over your life. And guess what? You, over time, we'll let that baggage go. Because as you see his faithfulness, the worry, the weight, all that begins to lift. And I still got some weights over here. What about the spirit of self-criticism? And what that person said, what that relative said, what that relative did, has left a lasting mark. Jesus still bears the scars of his cross. 
But what's amazing is Jesus said, you don't have to be afraid because I've overcome the world. And if I've overcome, you can too. And so what do we do? We, we take the thoughts captive. When you look at the mirror and you say, man, I'm ugly, in the name of Jesus, I come out of agreement with that thought. And I proclaim what God has said, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Man, I'm not good enough. In the name of Jesus, I take that thought captive. And yeah, it's true. I'm not good enough. But God in me is good. And he makes me good. Man, I'm not worthy. Jesus said that I died for you. And my love makes you worthy. Okay? Man, I can never be like that. In the name of Jesus, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Because it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by my spirit, says the Lord. It's by my spirit. Jesus said, apart from me, you can't do anything. Yeah. We can't do anything, but with him, what's impossible becomes possible. So we're not limited by our physical limitations, skills, or abilities. We're unlimited because of his riches and glory. Some of you, seriously, need to go home and write down on a piece of paper every lie you've been speaking over your life for a long time, every critical thing you've ever said. And then you need to write out what God's word says about you on another piece of paper. And then take all those lies and burn it with fire and say, in the name of Jesus, I renounce all this garbage and I'm not picking it up anymore and I'm going to believe the truth. And as you begin to renew your mind, that's what Romans 12, 2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You take those thoughts captive, you begin replacing with, with truth and what you'll begin to see is your load gets lighter. But then we have this one. Sometimes this is the hardest one. I know from personal experience, when you've got stuff in your life you don't want anybody to know about, this is a hard one. But he says, strip off every sin that gets in your way. Sin gets in your way. Jesus dealt with sin on the cross. He's not looking at you with condemning or shameful eyes. He knows you're not perfect. That's why he, the perfect one, came for us. That's why the gospel matters. That's why the cross matters. This is why this matters, so that you can know that he knows that you're broken, that you've got struggles, and he loves you anyway. God showed his great love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so as we're looking at this, we're like, man, I've got this stuff in my life. I, I mean, and I, I know I can feel it in my spirit right now. There's some really uncomfortable people in this room. Because you know what God's speaking to your life. And, and I just believe in my heart that this is for you. You've got this weight. You've got this monkey on your back. It's affecting every area of your life. No, it's not just affecting you. It's affecting your relationships. It's affecting your family. It's affecting your job performance. It's affecting everything in your life. And sooner or later, the Bible says your sin will find you out. The question is, is how is it going to find you out? By you volunteering the information or you getting caught? And the consequences of each have different weights. The Bible says God will forgive you the moment you ask and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. But there's also a mystery that if we're still keeping it hidden, we're still walking in the darkness. 
That's why the Word of God says to walk in the light so the darkness can't overtake you. What you keep hidden remains in the playground of the enemy. And as long as you walk in darkness, you're going to invite darkness to walk with you. And so what does God's Word say? He says, confess to God and be forgiven. But then he says in James 5, confess your sins one to another and pray for each other and you'll be healed. As long as you're holding on to the bag, you will be unable to let it go at the Father's feet. So what that means is that you have to worship. You have to fear the Lord. You have to trust God, make much of Him, and realize that His Word is true, that no matter how it feels or how scary in the moment, if I confess to God and I confess to my brothers and sisters in Christ, if I confess to my brothers for, and seek prayer, I can lighten my load. Oh, but it's scary. I know. What, what if they find out? What if my spouse finds out? What if my parents find out? What if my friends find out? What will they think? You can fear the enemy and believe his lies. Or you can trust the one who has the power to redeem you and rescue you. When we say, God, it's scary, but I know you love me and you want good for me, and so I'm going to trust you with this. We get to lighten our load. And we get to watch God break down walls. And we get to be freer and lighter. And you see, Jesus, Jesus has a pack too. And he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, those who are carrying bags, who are weighed down. Come to me. Bring it to me, and I will lighten your load. And why does he want us to wear his yoke? Because it's easy and it's light. Because his will for us is not to stay against a wall, to lean against a wall, or to beat against a wall. It's for him to move out of the wall for us to go up to the victory. To go up where God has prepared the victory, where God's prepared the healing for your relationship, the healing for your sickness, the healing for your finances, the healing for your mind and your emotions. This is where God wants you. He wants you to walk on top of the rubble of the wall that's been holding you back for so long. This is where the mission is, and this is mission critical. God has a mission for our church together, but he has a mission for you. And as long as you hold on to the weight and you guard your sin, you're going to stay out of the fight. But if we lay our weights down, if we lay it down, we're going to prime ourselves in position to watch God do something miraculous and to do something life-changing for our good, for the goods of our family. Now, the nation of Israel, they went into Jericho. They raised the city to the ground. They, they celebrated, but there was a warning in the victory. God said, this city, this city's mine. You're going to have many victories. 
There are going to be many battles, and you're going to have many victories. But this city, it's mine. Burn it all to the ground. Take nothing with you. You can have all the treasure and all the things you find in the other cities, but this one, this one's mine. This, 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 this is my consecrated city. Matter of fact, Joshua pronounces a curse over the city of Jericho that if anyone even tries to rebuild it would be cursed. And later in the, in the Bible, in the book of Kings, you see someone tries to rebuild it and the curse falls on him hundreds and hundreds of years later. The idea is this. When God gives us victory and he gives us the, the, the city or the enemy against us, we get victory over the enemy the weights that we let go of, the things that he does in our lives, the breakthrough, they're meant to be his. And they're meant to stay at his feet. There's a guy named Achan in the city that after they left Jericho, a curse broke out amongst the people and they started um, just, some people started dying and it was crazy because it was like, we just had victory, everything was good, now everything's going bad again. They sought God and God said, somebody didn't keep their hands to themselves. And he put some treasure, he had some treasure that set it off to himself so he could go back later and get it. The deal is that when God gives you victory, when he gives you victory over your sin, victory over your relationship, victory over your finances, don't pick the junk back up that you just laid back down. Don't pick up the guilt and shame for the sin that you did because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Don't hold your marriage problems over your spouse's head because they were in the past and you just want to keep bringing it up every time you feel about it. Don't keep walking in guilt because you weren't obedient financially for the first 15, 30 years of your life. Don't pick up what God has helped you lay back down because there is a curse that will come and be broken out over your life and... and uh, Deuteronomy, it's the last passage of Scripture I, I want to share with you. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, this is what God tells the nation of Israel. When you go into the promised land and you have these victories, he says, the carved images of the gods of these nations you shall burn with fire. Do not even covet the silver or gold that is in or on them or take it for yourselves, lest you be ensnared by it, for it's an abomination to the Lord. The idea is this. Anything attached to the old way of life that belongs to God. When you burn it by fire, leave it in the ashes. Leave it there. Don't pick it back up. Don't say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit smoking and then go back and just say, well, I'm just going to have one. Don't revisit what God delivered you from because it will ensnare you again. God desires to give us victory, but the victory only stays permanent when we remain faithfully obedient when we stay true to the Lord. As we go into a time of response and prayer, I'm going to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. Is my wife in here, Tony? If I could get you to play on the piano for me. Just anything. I believe in my heart there's some of you, I'm going to invite the prayer team to come forward. As the music begins to play, get some prayer team members forward here. I believe some of you have some bags you need to unpack. You have some bags. You have some heavy weight. Some of it's just fear, worry, doubt, anxiety. Some of it's a critical spirit. Some it's unforgiveness and bitterness in a relationship. 
Some of you, it's something you're doing in your life that you know doesn't please the Lord, but it's affecting you, and the Spirit of God's bringing that to your attention right now. Some of you, it's doubt, fear, worry. Some of you have something that you've been hiding for a long time that you've been afraid to bring to light. Some of you have been wrestling with something in your life and you've laid it down maybe a hundred times. But just like what we read in Deuteronomy, you keep going back and picking something up. And you haven't gotten full victory or full freedom from that issue because you've not been able to break away and part ways with it. And I believe that today God wants to bring breakthrough. He wants, he wants to bring healing. He, I, I just believe wholeheartedly God wants to begin restoring things. He's moving walls right now. The question is, is do you want to partner with him for that healing? Do you want to partner with him in that breakthrough? Because you can the invitation to you is come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, those who are wearing heavy weights. And the, the issue is a matter of trust. Do you trust him enough? Do you believe his word is true? Do you believe in what he says, that if you come and you confess, that not only will you be forgiven, but you can be dramatically healed? Do you, do you believe his word? Do you trust him? We can sing songs all day, but the power in our worship comes through faithful obedience. And when you come forward, you don't come into condemnation. You don't come into shame. You're not going to have to take a microphone and give testimony about your mistakes and your failures. No, you're going to come to a brother or sister in Christ, and they're going to weep with you. They're going to pray with you. They're going to believe God with you, and they're going to encourage you. As God begins to do a miraculous move in your life. So whatever it is in your life right now, whatever that weight is, whatever bag you're carrying, it's time to unpack it. And it's time to give it to God. Jesus has everlasting arms. He doesn't grow weary or tired, and he can handle the weight. And he wants you to come and give him your bag. And he wants to give you his. He wants to exchange your heaviness for a garment of praise. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. And if God's speaking to your heart and you feel something in you, you're like, man, I need to go. I need to pray. I need to lay this down. There's something that you're wrestling with in your life. Don't hesitate. Don't listen to the voice of the enemy. Take those thoughts captive. Say, no, I'm tired of living the enemy's way. I'm tired of believing the lies that cause me to do things in opposition to what God wants for me to do. Today, I'm going to choose to believe God. I'm going to choose to trust God. I'm going to choose to put my faith in his faithfulness, to trust in his word, to believe in his death and resurrection, to believe in the power of the blood of Christ to cleanse me of all unrighteousness and the power of his resurrection that I can have new life. Today, I'm going to choose to believe it. So God, I'm going to come, I'm going to lay myself at your feet, and I'm going to trust you to begin the healing work right now. If that's you in your life and you're ready to do that, in just a moment, when I say amen, you get up from your seat and you come forward and you come and you pray. And you stay down here long enough and you pray long enough for the Holy Spirit to do a work in your life. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word. 
I thank you, God, that you have called us all to a mission, both together as a church and individually as your children, as your sons and daughters. And Lord, I pray right now, God, against every lie of the enemy, every excuse that's being handed out right now, every reason as to why I don't need to go forward right now, I pray against in the name of Jesus, every poisonous word, every self-critical word, every word of doubt that, oh, that's not going to work. I've tried that before. God, I just pray against everything the enemy is speaking right now that keeps us from obedience and faithfulness and trust in your word. God, and I just ask you, Jesus, I ask you, Holy Spirit, to draw those that you've appointed for healing today, to draw those that you've appointed for breakthrough. Give us confidence and faith in you. And I pray, Jesus, I thank you for what you're about to do. I thank you for what you're about to do. If you're here and you need a relationship with God, you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior personally and, and officially in your life, maybe you've gone to church or you've grown, grown up in church, but there's never been a moment where you gave your heart to Jesus, the invitation is to you as well. You come. And we are honored to pray with you that you would find a relationship with Christ today. Lord, I just thank you for what you're about to do. In Jesus' name. From all of us at Vertical Life Church, we want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you, and God bless.